broadcasting from Crete, Greece, for our 300th episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. Hello and welcome to everybody around the world. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and it is indeed a landmark episode in historic times. Let's start with who started this podcast, which is Matthew Kievel, who was our senior reporter out in Vancouver before he moved on to Attic Resources, and I believe is currently with Ivanhoe Mines. Last I heard, he had taken a digital course, I guess this is six or seven, eight years ago, and he wanted to start a podcast, and I believe that was under Anthony Vaccaro as publisher, who gave him the green light. It might have been Doug Donnelly, the publisher before, but I'm pretty sure it was Anthony. So he got it going, to his credit, and then John Cumming took over editor-in-chief after Matt went to Attic Resources. And John Cumming, who was two editor-in-chiefs ago, he did it until he went to Agnico Eagle. And now I am the one holding the reins since episode 140. I mean, so time flies. So it feels like maybe three years this summer. And so we've done more than half. So anyways, it's been a very fun ride. It's been a really fun thing to basically have the opportunity to do public speaking on a weekly basis. I recommend it for everyone. It's always going to be rocky at the start. Probably takes about six months to get your footing, get your voice almost. But after that, then it's actually, it's just a wonderful skill to just keep trying to improve on and develop. So thank you, dear listeners, for joining us, me and the Northern Miner, on this journey. I hope we've been keeping it educational and entertaining, sophisticated but accessible, and we have tried to take as many perspectives as we can on this mining industry, whether it's ESG, NFT mining galleries, or, you know, as we are today, taking a look at mining stocks. It's going to be a bit of an earnings season preview. Alcoa is always first up, and they are tomorrow, so we are going to take a look at what is going on, I mean, just for instance, because it's getting interesting out there. I mean, as you know, commodities have fallen out of bed in the last eight weeks, and we are seeing some very interesting prices just from a historical point of view. For example, you look at Barrick Gold Corp. It is at $15.66 per share on the New York Stock Exchange, and it's been pretty much straight down since early June. And you look actually since early April, actually April 1st, it was at 2541, and now we're at 1566, so major drawdown. But you know the last time it was this low was the COVID lows in March 2020. If you look at March 13th, 2020, Barrick was at $15.67, a penny higher than where we are today. So again, a very interesting, I don't know if you want to call that an opportunity or just a, a number of note. And why I like these earnings calls so much is if we look at the entire global economy, I mean, commodities are sort of seen, I don't want to say it's sideline sort of market, but they weren't really front and center, let's put it that way, in the last 10 years until about six months ago. And now that they are becoming front and center, you see how crucial they are to the global economy. I mean, if energy goes up, for example, it brings a lot of problems. And probably the same could be said if copper goes crazy at a certain point. We could probably say this is going to have a big impact if aluminum goes crazy. So what I like about this is it's twofold. First, we have a mining company's view on what's happening with their business, which is so crucial to the global economy, and they have to think about energy. 
They have to think about their own product, supply. How are things coming along? Is it profitable to mine at these prices with energy the way it is? And I guess it depends where you're located in regard to how much you're paying for your energy. Do you have a mine in Europe? Well, you're probably not profitable. You know, maybe if you're in the United States or who knows, if you're a Russian miner, maybe you are. So you get this view of the global economy from the miner's perspective, which I'd say is a pretty front row seat on the reality of what's going on. Another reason I like these earnings calls and why I think it's worth our attention is, in a sense, talk is cheap. There is so much commentary in financial markets, opinions, everything. I'm a huge consumer of this stuff, so I like it too. But there is nothing like the numbers. There is nothing like quantitative data. And what the markets give us, what these stock prices give us, is some quantitative data. Also, as we listen to them, the profitability, more numbers. So this is a bit of reality in a world of opinion. We get the numbers. So let's give the numbers their due. Let's give them the attention they deserve. And so we have a mining stock preview. So we're going to go through all the bellwethers today, at least most of the major ones. We'll go to Alcoa, to Freeport, to Barrick, to Newmont, to Cameco, to Wheaton Precious Metals, and more. So you have that to look forward to, to give you a leg up on what is actually going on here. Because if you haven't opened these charts recently, you might be surprised at what you see. And that, my friends, will hopefully give you an edge in these markets. You know, one more note. We got a interesting reproduction of a postcard several emails later was forwarded to me, which looks like, amazingly, nobody had heard of this before, that there is a Northern Miner radio station way back in the day. And it seems implausible. And I looked at the postcard at first, which was a bit of an ad. It has the old logo. I mean, this looks like it's from the 1930s or 40s, I would guess. Mountain View Road, not Google, in Georgetown, Ontario, Canada. And it says the Northern Miner XM4245794579. And on the back, it says, hi, and there's a little form you can fill out to send it back. I heard worked your CB station. I don't know if that's shortwave radio. And then you're supposed to fill in some more data here. Your SIGs, I assume that signals were, and then it has readability, fill that out, strength, and the equipment you used, and any more notes, and you can check off base or mobile. So how interesting and mysterious is that? Thank you. Let me see if I can see who this is. Thank you, Taylor Carpenter, for sending us this picture of this old postcard. So very interesting stuff. We're going to tweet that out here at some point. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, one of several stories on battery plants that are being built, and they're coming fast and furious here. Panasonic to build $4 billion battery plant in the U.S. to supply Tesla. It's by Cecilia Jamazmi. Japan's Panasonic is deepening its ties with electric vehicles maker Tesla 
By planning a battery plant in Kansas, which will cost $4 billion, the facility is expected to supply the EV giant with a new high-capacity battery and boost Panasonic Energy's production capacity by fiscal 2028 from the current level of roughly 50 gigawatt hours per year to 150 to 200 gigawatt hours. The Japanese company, the world's third largest EV batteries producer behind Cattle and LG Energy Solution, already operates a $5 billion gigafactory in Nevada with Tesla. Panasonic picked the site of the new facility based on factors including its proximity to Texas, where Tesla moved its headquarters last year, and favorable tax treatment. Oklahoma had also been considered as a candidate location. Very interesting. And in Canada, Umicore, to build $1.5 billion battery materials factory in eastern Ontario, and this is by Naimul Karim, Belgium-based Umicore, a circular materials technology firm, plans to invest $1.5 billion to build a manufacturing plant in Ontario for cathode active battery materials and their precursor ingredients. The company aims to start construction in 2023 and kick off operations at the end of 2025 with the goal of supplying battery components to about 1 million electric vehicles a year by 2030. Umicore signed a memorandum of understanding with the Canadian government to finalize details of the federal support it will receive for the project. The plant will be situated in the province's Loyalist Township about 18 kilometers west of the city of Kingston. And we have a quote from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at a press conference in Kingston, quote, We have reached a deal with Umicore to build a new battery facility in Loyalist Township. And he continues, It will provide a thousand jobs during construction and hundreds of good long-term positions. And he also added that it was big news. Canada isn't just going to be a global player in electric vehicles with this and other announcements we made. We may demonstrate that we get to be global leaders. So it's very interesting. I mean, what crosses my mind is it seems like, at least in the West, we're starting to realize that this laissez-faire capitalism may not work when it comes to developing projects like this against China, for example, who is very involved with their industry. And it's this real fine balancing act that you have to do, but... It seems like the governments are just saying, listen, we need to develop this. So we're willing to put some money here to help move this along. And after all the interviews I've done and everything I've seen, I don't see this as a bad thing to editorialize. I think it's actually necessary from a purely pragmatic perspective. Continuing on, Rio Tinto invests $188 million to upgrade aluminum smelter in Quebec. So... This is interesting. This is by Jackson Chen. Rio Tinto is investing $188 million to increase the production capacity for low-carbon, high-value aluminum billets at its Alma smelter in Lac-Saint-Jean, Quebec, by 202,000 tons. The existing casting center at Rio Tinto's Alma plant will be expanded to accommodate new state-of-the-art equipment, including a casting pit and furnaces, allowing a larger portion of the aluminum produced to be converted to higher-value billets. Construction will begin in May 2023 after completing detailed engineering and preliminary work and commissioning is expected in the first quarter of 2025. And we have a quote from Sebastien Ross, managing director of Rio Tinto Aluminum's Atlantic operations. And he said, quote, this expansion of our low carbon aluminum billet production capacity in Quebec 
will allow us to better meet our customers' growing demand for high-quality alloys and value-added products made with renewable hydroelectricity. This new capacity will help to strengthen the position of our Alma smelter, and we are proud to work with our employees, clients, Quebec equipment manufacturers, and partners to bring this much-anticipated project to fruition. Well, I imagine this is just a win-win for Rio Tinto because hydroelectric is probably cheaper than regular energy, and then they also get to say how green it is. So that seems like just a an easy win for Rio Tinto. And another story, Rock Tech, the junior lithium miner, has signed a framework agreement with a car maker in Germany. And they are not saying which one. This is by Northern Miner's staff. Rock Tech Lithium has signed a framework agreement with an unnamed global car maker headquartered in Germany to supply lithium hydroxide over an initial five-year period. RockTech is building a lithium hydroxide converter in Germany. They expect to start production there in 2024. The facility is forecast to have a production capacity of 24,000 tons per year, an amount that RockTech says would be needed to equip about 500,000 electric vehicles with lithium-ion batteries. And we have a quote from Matthew O'Keefe from Cantor Fitzgerald, who said the framework supply agreement, quote, represents a key step forward reducing overall risks by further establishing a core customer for its production of domestically produced lithium hydroxide. And he also mentions that RockTech, quote, has built a broad management team with former executives from BMW and a technical group with development and operational experience in industrial plants, chemical processing, and lithium production. And I believe I interviewed RockTech about two and a half years ago or so, one of the earlier interviews I did on this podcast. So it looks like they are doing quite well. Continuing on into the precious metals area, gold fields unlikely to further sweeten Yamana deal, according to their CEO, also by Cecilia Jamazmi, South African miner gold fields trusts that Yamana Gold's shareholders will back its planned $6.7 billion takeover of the Canadian gold miner. The proposed merger, which would create the world's fourth largest gold miner and is expected to surpass Agnico Eagle in a year to take third place, has been criticized by goldfield investors. They claim the transaction is too expensive and does not guarantee growth and profitability. The gold miner's shares lost about 20% on May 31st when it announced the all-share transaction and has not recovered since. Well, their timing is definitely off in the sense that like we saw what happened to Barrick. I mean, Barrick's down more than 20% since May 31st. So I'm not sure we can make too much of that drop. However, the timing, like from a public perception point of view, it, it looks like, oh, well, the deal looks terrible. Shareholders have voted with their, with their pocketbook here that they don't like the deal, but that's probably not exactly, you know, super accurate as most gold stocks have come down. Finally, UK investment firm Red Wheel, one of the South African miners' top investors, said in June that Goldfields was making, quote, a serious error in its takeover strategy. Goldfields' chief executive, Chris Griffith, however, told reporters on Friday he had held, quote, constructive and tough discussions with Red Wheel, adding that many shareholders are warming up to the deal. The company improved the original offer on Monday by offering to pay shareholders 30 to 45% of normalized earnings at the interim and final dividend stages up from a previous payout range of 25 to 35%. So they're just kind of incrementally moving the dial there. Griffith said he is not considering changing the terms of the sweetened deal. So they're offering a little bit more 
but they're not really offering too much more. A couple of headlines. Barrick sees 5.4% bump in quarterly gold output. Copper production up 18.8%. So Barrick continues to develop its copper and just build its company. I think it's still rebuilding, frankly, from when Mark Bristow took over. It seems like you wonder at a certain point if Barrick's going to fall the pieces of the puzzle are going to come together and this thing turns into a behemoth again. So a kind of a good looking headline from Barrick. And finally, cost of expansion at Rio Tinto's Oyutolgoi rise again. And this has been an ongoing issue. I mean, I don't think anybody can be too mad at Rio Tinto this time. I mean, costs are going up everywhere. Let's see how much it is. Cecilia Jamazmi wrote the piece. Rio Tinto flagged on Friday a cost increase of $300 million for the ongoing expansion of its massive Oyutolgoi copper gold mine in Mongolia. The world's second largest miner said the cost and schedule reforecast completed in June now pegs the total project cost estimate at $7.1 billion, almost $1.8 billion higher than its original estimate in 2015. The company blamed the rise on skilled labor supply constraints caused by COVID-19 and noted the new estimate under review by Oyu Tolgoi's board assumes that there are no further disruptions. Rio Tinto currently controls and operates the mine located 550 kilometers south of Mongolia's capital Ulaanbaatar. Thanks to a 66% stake in Canada's Turquoise Hill Resources, the government of Mongolia owns 34%, and Rio Tinto is currently trying to buy all shares it doesn't already own in Turquoise Hill. I guess they like this project. So more cost run-ups at Oyu Tolgoi. And another headline, Anglo-American and Nippon Steel to work on low-carbon steelmaking, also by Cecilia Jamazmi. And just a couple of lines here, Anglo-American and Japan's Nippon Steel have joined forces to develop solutions for low-carbon steelmaking, a process responsible for up to 9% of global greenhouse emissions. That is astonishing. I mean, if there's one thing you learned on this podcast today, steelmaking accounts for 9% of global greenhouse emissions. That is wild. So that's a difference maker. If they can start to come up with low carbon solutions there, those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices. Turning to metal prices, let's just take a quick look at the 10-year bond for context. And the U.S. 10-year bond is at 2.948%. That is 0.04% lower than last week. So pretty much even in the 10-year bond in the last week. Turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets who provide us with these prices each and every week. And on July 19th, gold is trading at $1,715.14 per ounce. That is $19 lower. Then last week, silver is trading at $18.84 per ounce. That is 26 cents lower than last week. Platinum is trading at $867.39 per ounce. That is $5 lower than last week. And palladium is also lower at $1,878.78 per ounce. That is $252 lower than last week. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is at $3.27 per pound. That is 26 cents lower than last week. 
Aluminum is three cents lower at a dollar six per pound. Lead is two cents lower at eighty six cents per pound. Nickel is also lower at nine dollars and twenty two cents per pound. That is forty two cents lower than last week, and tin is nine cents lower at eleven dollars and sixty one cents per pound. Cobalt is even at twenty seven dollars and ten cents per pound, and zinc is eight cents lower at a dollar thirty five per pound. What do we see? Pretty much a washout across the board, and maybe even more accurately put, the washout continues in metals, both precious and industrial. So where the bottom is in this remains to be seen. And I think the big question right now is, frankly, is Goldman Sachs right? Is this not over yet? Or have commodities topped out, or at least the metals? And are they back to just, you know, lower prices? But, you know, a lot of people have been saying that we're kind of going to enter a bit of a boom and bust phase with the Fed tightening, everything dropping, all risk assets, you know, stocks, commodities dropping, and then them loosening and everything going back up. So let's see what happens here. Can they keep it down? Or... As Jeffrey Curry at Goldman Sachs says, is this not over yet? And the supply constraints are real. We shall find out. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, our stock earnings preview, where I will take us into several of the bellwether mining stocks to see what is going on in the mining sector and in commodity metals markets in general. I hope you enjoy it. And I will see you on the other side. So let's begin with BHP, BHP Group, as it's called, which has a market cap of $123 billion and a PE ratio of 7.4 and a dividend yield of 14.21%. And if we look here, it's trading at $49.27 per share. At the beginning of June, on June 7th, that was $69.21. So it is down about $20 from 70. So that is about a 30, 35% move down in the last two months. That is interesting. When we look Compared to the COVID lows, the COVID lows was still $28.07 on BHP. And it has a climate change score of B, at least on Google Finance. So what do we see here with BHP? I mean, we could say a pretty steep fall, especially since the beginning of June when it was at $67 and it's fallen to $50.49 in six weeks. So... That is pretty steep. And again, a low PE, a super high dividend, and, you know, the biggest miner in the world. Let's continue on. Let's look at Rio Tinto. And this is their common stock on the New York Stock Exchange because they are based out of Australia. So we are going to use the U.S. New York Stock Exchange listing price. And so they have a market cap of $90 billion. And again, if we go back to BHP, that was 123 So about a quarter less than BHP. And they 
have a dividend also at 14%. It's at 14.31%. A P.E. ratio of 4.28. So another very low price-to-earnings ratio. And if we look at the stock price, it's at $55.41. At the beginning of April, it was at $82.68. So maybe a bit more of a drop-off. It is below, and this is another interesting thing, it is below last fall. Like in November 2021 was another kind of recent low. And that was at $60.71. And now it's at $55.41. Jumping back to BHP, like their low in November was $48 and now they're at $49. So they're flirting with going below their low from last fall. So interesting kind of similar looking charts here. If we continue on, Glencore is at a market cap of 53 billion pounds. So maybe a little lower than Rio Tinto when you factor in the conversion. They're right up there in the top five, I'm sure. And they're, of course, I believe they're traders and mine owners. And nothing on the PE or on the dividend yield. Maybe it's the listing I'm looking at here. Let's see if we can find a different listing. Glencore PLC. Here we go. A PE ratio of 13.27. And remember that headline from a week or two ago where we heard that Glencore had one of the most profitable six months in their history in the first six months of the year? And I think it was maybe it was just like the mining or the energy trading part of the business. But their PE is a little more normal here at 13.27, a dividend yield of 4.6%. So if we look at the U.S. chart, because the other chart is not working... It looks like they topped out in April, came all the way down in May. Now, on the U.S., it's a different reading, okay? Now, they topped out on April 18th or so, came all the way back down on May 13th, and then came all the way back up on the 7th of June. These things look like, it looks like a bit of a double top. I'm not a chart reading guy. These Charts, in a sense, they look like double tops. I'm not an expert on that. So if you're a charting person, you might want to take a look at that and tell me what you think. Now, look at Valet. Now, they have all sorts of legal issues. Because if you're wondering how Valet has a dividend yield of 17.64%, you might be wondering why that is, or their PE ratio is even lower than the last time we checked in with Valet, now it's at 2.99. I remember it being something like 3.2 or 3.5. So Valet, again, one of the world's largest mining companies with a market cap of $62 billion is offering a 17% yield, has a climate change score of A-, which is also interesting when you consider all of the issues they've had with ESG. Interesting. Now, they are at $12.65 per share. At the beginning of April, they're at $21.23 per share. So they have come down pretty dramatically. And as recently as the 6th of June, they're at $18.54. And now they're down basically by a third to $12.65. And it was basically a roller coaster down to where they are now. So 
The COVID lows, let's just compare it to that. Now, the COVID lows were quite low, close to about $7 per share for Valet. Now they're at $12.65. If we compare to the lows in November, they're at $11.45. So they're still above the November lows in the mining stocks, but just barely. And so will that hold will be a very, it looks like it's kind of, if you look at the COVID low, then you look at the November low and you look at where they are right now, they look they're, like they're just about to break that kind of trend line there, if not just having broken it. So another ominous chart from Valet, turning to Alcoa. Now Alcoa's market cap is surprisingly low. It's at $8 billion. I thought I'd just take it because it was a famous company. You think aluminum, you think Alcoa, only an $8 billion market cap. That's a little surprising to me. Now a dividend yield of 0.93% and a PE ratio of 11.5. So Alcoa looks a little bit more normal. I mean, Alcoa always kind of had a bit of a different feel when you think of mining stocks. It almost feels, for lack of a better word, a little more mainstream than your typical mining stock. That's not really the right word. So yeah, market cap of $8 billion. So they're at $43.06 per share. Now, if we look at the last year or so, they topped out the 23rd of March, so about a month after the invasion began of Ukraine, at $94.22 per share. Now they're at $43.06. So they are down more than 50%. Now, last November, they bottomed out, actually it was the 2nd of December, they bottomed out at $44.82. So now they're at 43. So they just went below their December 2nd bottom. Okay. And really their low was March 13th, 2020. Their COVID low was at $8. So aluminum has had a massive move from the COVID lows and it really just peaked out again at the end of March at about $92. And now it's at 43. Again, you look at this trend line from the COVID low, it's almost straight up and it's almost like 45 degree angle, let's say 40 degree angle up. And then it looks like it kind of had a bit of a blow off top in March and now it's broken that trend line lower. So, hmm, interesting. Turning to a major copper producer, let's look at Freeport McMorrin. So their market cap is $37.42 billion. So pretty significant. And their PE ratio is 7.49. And their dividend yield is 1.16%, so fairly low dividend yield. PE lower, but not as low as BHP or Rio Tinto or Valet. Now, they topped out also at the end of March. You see a bit of a topping out. And they were at $51.93 per share. And now they're at $25.82 per share. So pretty devastating drop, more than 50% since the end of March, so it was, let's say, even just called April 1st, and we're in mid-July, and you're down 50% if you bought Freeport. So, you know, buying momentum can be a dangerous thing. In these kind of choppy markets, not financial advice, I just like to buy low and sell high if I can. And I just try and keep it as simple as possible. You know, as I told a friend of mine who is into crypto, and he was wondering about Cardano, and I was like, well, 
what did you buy it at before? He's like $2 and 20 cents. I was like, what's it at now? He's like 40 cents, 50 cents. I'm like, well, is it low? He's like, yeah, well, okay. And then, you know, so you just want to ask yourself, I think, and again, not financial advice. This is just what I do. I ask myself, do I think it's going to go somewhere? And if I do think it's going to go somewhere, is it low or is it high? And I think you just got to keep it simple. So right now, Freeport is down pretty dramatically and it is quite the slide. I mean, since the 7th of June, where it was at $43.39, it's just been a cascading waterfall down. So very interesting. Turning to another copper company, Southern Copper Corporation. So they are at $36 billion. You don't hear about Southern Copper as much. I mean, but they are pretty massive. And they're, again, $36 billion with a dividend yield of 10.65% and a PE ratio of 10.62. So a PE ratio of, let's say, called 10 or 11. So it's interesting the difference between, say, Southern Copper and Freeport. I mean, Freeport has a 1% dividend. Southern Copper has a 10% going on 11% dividend. Very interesting. Now, if you look at the top, 1st of April, $78.17. Now, Southern Copper is trading at $46.96. Let's call it $47. So not quite in half, but close. And again, a precipitous drop downwards. And then, yeah, in the last, you know, three months, let's call it April, May, and June. Now, if we compare it to its COVID lows, now, again, it, you look at the five-year chart, and this looks like a massive double top. I'm not an expert in these things, but you see a massive run-up from, again, the 20th of March or so at $25, all the way up to, it's like straight up to $79.42. So pretty much a 3x. From the COVID lows, then it starts to go down and then back up to, you know, the 1st of April 2022. And again, it looks like just like one massive double top, but I leave it to the chartists to figure that out. Uh, but a healthy dividend yield on that one. Continuing on, First Quantum, another copper company, and their market cap is $14 billion. They have a PE ratio of 10 and a dividend yield of 0.05%. So basically no dividend. This is on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It's quite interesting, the difference, if these are accurate, climate change score of C, if these are accurate, you know, and not everything has a climate change score, by the way. So I'm just telling the ones that have it. I mean, sometimes Google Finance or Yahoo Finance, sometimes you can not get all the information. This is not a Bloomberg terminal. Okay, so... Again, this is not financial advice. This is just like taking a look, kind of browsing online for you through audio. And so what do we see here? Let's just take a look. So first quantum topped out at $44.42 on the 1st of April. And here we are mid-July and it's just, it's not straight down. It kind of went back up a little bit at the end of May, but it's basically been straight down from the 1st of April, and now they're at $20.44. So if you bought the top, you're down more than 50% on First Quantum. However, had you bought the COVID low, it was at $5.32, and it went all the way up to $44. So that's a 9x if you were able to hold through all that. And so again, the uptrend seems to be broken in a major way with this recent drop. 
So let's see where it all ends up, where it starts to get some equilibrium. Turning to a major gold miner, Newmont, its market cap is $44 billion. It's pretty high, actually, if you ask me. I mean, maybe you have a different opinion. It's P-E ratio. I remember this from the last time. It, it's, it, it's come down dramatically, but its P-E ratio is still 41. A dividend yield of 4%, so a healthy dividend from Newmont. And it is the kind of stock you get the impression that if a U.S. money manager is looking for a gold stock that they just set it and forget it gold stock. I think their go-to is Newmont. Nice dividend, solid company. So it's trading at $54.73 per share. Now it topped out in mid-April, April 18th at $85.42 and almost straight down with a little break like the others at the end of May, but pretty much straight down. So down dramatically and especially in the last couple of days, you know, a big drop. And if we look at it in context, so last fall, it bottomed out October 1st at $53.56 and again went up all the way to 84 in mid-April. And if you look at the COVID low, it was at $30.13. So it's still well, almost double its COVID low, unlike Barrick, which we're about to turn to. And if you bought the COVID low, you would have almost 3 x So Frankly, nothing special, you know, when you look at how some of the stocks did from the COVID lows, but solid. I mean, that is kind of Newmont's thing. I mean, unfortunately, Newmont, you look at like since 1990, I mean, it really hasn't done what you'd hope. Like, it's all kind of about buying the lows and selling the highs. But if you held on to Newmont, I mean, you could have had Newmont at $42 in 1990, okay? And it's at 54 now, you would have gotten dividends in the meantime, but uh, not the kind of performance you would hope for in the long term. However, if you bought it in you know, 2015 at $17, well, you're still at 54 and you're already up at going on 80. So it just kind of shows, you know, it makes me think of Rick Rule, where it's like this is a cyclical sector and it's just a, you got to buy the cycle. You got to buy low and sell high and rinse and repeat. That's what this reminds me of. Turning to Barrick on the New York Stock Exchange, as we were mentioning in the intro, trading at $15.66, and it's just a cascading waterfall from the 8th of April. So let's call it mid-April for the sake of argument from $25. And if we look at the market cap of $27 billion, price to earnings of 14.49. So let's call it 14 and a half a dividend yield of 2.5%, a climate change score of B. So Barrick topped out in September 2020, so almost two years ago, at $29.75, came down and had a bottom on the 10th of December at $17.95, did a quick move up all the way up to $25, and is now at $15.66. Again, a penny below it's COVID lows on March 13th, 2020. So back to the cyclical nature of these gold stocks, they really don't seem like the kind of stocks, you know, I hate to say, I mean, just from a purely observational point of view, they don't seem like the kind of stocks that you buy and hold. They look like these are stocks you trade and you wait for them to get blasted lower 
and you sell them and then you wait for them to get overvalued and then you just sell them and rinse and repeat is what it looks like to me. I think I've seen Rick Rule interviewed recently and I think he likes what he sees here from a buying perspective, interestingly. And now let's actually turn to Franco Nevada. That's another one. Almost forgot about Franco. Another bellwether. So Franco Nevada, and it's a streamer, right? So it should be a little less vulnerable to these movements in energy and just everything. Its market cap is $31 billion. And let me see if I can get its P.E. ratio on the Canadian P.E. ratio of 32. So quite high. Only a 1% dividend, interestingly. Now, on the U.S. exchange, if we, since we've done most of these stocks on the U.S. exchange, let's stick with that. So Franco Nevada topped out recently here on the 20th of April at $168 U.S. Now it's at $127.28, so down by about 25%. And a pretty steep decline in April, May, and then has just been sort of bouncing downwards ever since. Now, interestingly, its lows, like the gold stocks, it kind of had a low at $129 in December, close to the other gold stocks, but then it had a further low. Maybe they had something wrong in early January at $126. So their recent, most recent low was on the 6th of January at $126.61 on the New York Stock Exchange, and they're at $127. And if we look at the five-year chart, now, if you look at 2020, they're at $87.98 on March 13th, 2020. So they're still well above their COVID lows. And now they had a top there in 2020, 31st of July at $160, dropped to 107 in February 2021, and all the way back up to 160 in July 2021, and dropped again last January to this just to $127, back up to $167, and now we're back at $127. So again, the cyclical nature of a lot of these mining stocks is one of the big lessons I think we're learning here. Turning to just a couple of others, let's take a look at Wheaton Precious Metals, another streamer. So they're at $33.80 on the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, this sounds like a price from like 10 years ago. God, I remember it is. Yeah, in April 2011, Wheaton Precious Metals was $46.91. Now it's at $33.80 10 years later. That's got to hurt. Now let's look at their market cap, $15 billion, P.E. ratio of 20. So you see the streamers are quite high, their P.E. ratios. Again, I believe Franco was at 30, if I'm not mistaken. Let's just take a quick look. Yeah, Franco at 32. So the streamers definitely have a higher price-to-earnings ratio, which makes sense that they'd be valued higher because there is a little less risk in theory. But, you know, is that true when you look back 10 years and you'd be down like 30% if you just held on? So, again, back to the cyclical nature. This is the big takeaway. A dividend yield of 1.78% on Wheaton Precious Metals. And again, double top sort of look, but I leave it to the technical people. I mean, I'm a, you know, from a personal point of view, I'm a raging bull on all metals. But yeah, you do have to wonder. The, the chart people I have a deep respect for after, you know, what I saw happen in the crypto space, it's the chart people, the technicians who got it right. 
in crypto last year. And crypto, as we all know, is just kind of like a high octane version of speculation. So yeah, so I have kind of a newfound respect for these guys. Now, looking at recent highs in wheat and precious metals was at $51.29 on the New York Stock Exchange. Now it's at 33.80. So down, let's call it, I don't know, 20%. And below its October 2021 low of $36.97. And really, we haven't seen anything this low since the way up from COVID. Now their COVID low was $24.14. And now they're at 33.80. So they're still above their COVID low, but everything else they've broken below every other low since. So another very interesting chart here. Now let's just take a look at Cameco, which is always an interesting stock. Another tough, very tough stock to own. I mean, you look at the chart, you know, back in 2000, it was at $5.56, went up in 2007, all the way up to $52. And then 2008 dropped to $13, went all the way up in 2011 to $41 in Cameco and was kind of down all the way until basically COVID, where it went down all the way to $6.30. And then you see a pretty strong uptrend. So recently on the 8th of April, we topped out at $30.31 on the New York Stock Exchange. And now we're at $22.39. So we're down, what, like 25%. And if we look at the market cap, only $9 billion for really the blue chip uranium miner, at least in the West. And let's see if we can find out the PE and dividend on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, no PE ratio, but we do have a dividend of 0.41%. So nothing to write home about. So interesting. I mean, again, we look at the one-year chart. Yeah, basically topped out at $31.59 in April. Within a month, it was down at $20. You're down 30%. Then it went all the way back up to $27 within five weeks, June 8th. And now it's just kind of dropped precipitously on June 17th to $20. And it's just been kind of going sideways here. It hasn't broken its near-term low in May, nor its low in January, which is $19.04. It stayed above there. And 19th of August, it was at $15.63. So a bit more of a solid uptrend on Cameco. So I could go on all day here, but I thought this would be a good primer just to get what's going on in the mining sector. Because I think you get these big ones, you kind of get a good feel for the overall market. So I hope you enjoyed this special 300th episode edition of The Northern Miner, and I hope you enjoyed getting a close-up view of what's going on with some of these mining stocks. And I'd just like to thank you all once again for tuning into the show. We are going to take a look at some earnings calls, and we have some guests sprinkled in there in between coming up. So I hope you're enjoying your summer. Crete is beautiful. We're about 45 minutes outside of Hanya, spelled Kenya but pronounced Hanya and it's glorious view of that turquoise sea called the Mediterranean as I speak to you now I hope you enjoy your summer and we will see you next week if you want to help out the podcast leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory share it with your friends and until next week 